a series where we're talking about different questions that the congregation has sent to us. And today we're talking about a very difficult topic in our culture today, but one I believe, I believe the Bible is very clear about. But it's my prayer that not one person would leave here today not feeling challenged by what God has to say to us. And so I want to invite you to follow along if you have a Bible with you or to just receive the Word of God as it come to, comes to us from Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since one, what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever to be praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Therefore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of those who practice them. Sound familiar in our culture today? And probably most cultures at any given time can certainly proclaim that same reality. Friends, Jesus was hated by the religious leaders of his day, what we call the elite religious leaders. And they hated him for a lot of reasons, one being that he claimed to be God in human flesh. Every time he said, I am he would say, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus would say such things, he would anger the religious elite. And they hated him for it. But there was another reason they hated Jesus. Jesus was a rabbi. And as a rabbi, he did not do the things they expected him to do. In fact, the Bible tells us that he hung out with the wrong kind of people. People like us. Jesus said about himself, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, he was talking about their attitude toward him, the religious elite. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Time and again, the religious elite were offended that this rabbi would spend time with prostitutes, with tax collectors. And tax collectors aren't like IRS agents today. <laughs> but back then, what would happen is they were Jewish people who would collect taxes on behalf of the Roman Empire, had the power of the Roman army behind them, and they would collect a little extra money. You'd have to pay a little extra so that their pockets would be full as well. They robbed the people of God. And it was these very people that Jesus loved and called to be part of the kingdom of God. And we'll see a little later why he says that. But here's what I want to ask you today. If Jesus came into our world today, who would he spend time with? Where would he go? Where would he be? I wonder if it wouldn't be just as scandalous for people in the church today as Jesus spent time with the very people that we think he shouldn't be spending time with. This morning, we're going to be talking about the issue of homosexuality. Our denomination is very clear on where we stand. As a Christian Reformed Church, and I happen to agree with that position. It's one that I've always believed in my ministry. You'll see in your bulletin this morning, in the outline, you'll see a reference in a little box for further study. And there's, a, there's something that our denomination produced called the Human Sexuality Report. And it deals with human sexuality in all levels. It's about 150 pages long. Our staff's gone through it. We've prayed through it, we've worked through it, and there's challenges, as we'll see this morning. There's challenges. First of all, for, for those who are living, as Paul described in Romans 1, what we're going to do is we're going to briefly look at Romans 1, which is just one of many passages that talk about homosexuality and deal with that issue. And we're going to look at it biblically, because this is just one of many, and it's very representative of the teachings of the Bible when it comes to homosexuality. And then second, we're going to talk to those who struggle with same-sex attraction. In a crowd like this, there are probably people here who struggle with that. And even if you don't struggle with it, you're going to know somebody who does at some point in your life. And it may end up being a child. It may end up being a grandchild a niece, a nephew, a neighbor. And you're going to need to understand 
what we're talking about this morning. And then third, we're going to speak, I'm going to speak to the church. Because the human sexuality report not only brings challenges to holiness for all of God's people and how we express our sexuality, but it also challenges the church to instead of being judgmental, to create a place where people who struggle with this issue can be loved and can deal with their struggle. And so let's look first at what the Bible teaches as we look at Romans chapter 1. And what I want to do is I want to show you the flow of Paul's argument. And this is basically his argument. He says, number one, that the wrath of God is revealed against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. We talk often about the love of God. Yes, God is perfect in his love, but he's also perfect in his justice. God calls us to be holy as he is holy. And what I have found in my life is that the more that I learn about God and the nature of God, the more that I grow in my faith, the more that I open my heart and I mind to him, the more that I want to be holy as he is holy. Now, that will never happen until I am glorified, until I go to be with him to live forever. But each and every day, I am seeking to be more the man that he created me to be. And I believe that's how God wants us to live. And so judgment does come because God is a God who hates sin. And so we read in Romans 1, 8, uh, 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The more that we suppress the truth, the more that we are going to live the lie, the more that we are going to embrace the darkness and it's only by repenting, no matter what it is, what our sin might be. It might be, it might be pride. It might be a critical spirit. Whatever it is, the more that we suppress and live into that, more that we are suppressing in our lives the light of God's presence, the more that we are walking and living in darkness, and the greater the darkness becomes. We read on, and we see that all of us are without excuse because God has revealed who he is to us. Listen to what it says. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, plain to us, because God has made it plain to us. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We are without excuse because when we look at what God has created, we see the nature of God. And as he opens our hearts and our minds to that, as we pursue him, we begin to see him in his light, in his power, in his glory, in his holiness, in his righteousness. And we want to live as he has created us to live. And then we read on, and we see that rejecting God, we have been left to our own foolish, we have been left to our own foolish thoughts. They, listen to what it says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Have you ever run into that pattern in your life? You've stopped giving thanks. You've stopped glorifying him. Maybe you come to church, but your heart is a million miles away. 
But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. As we walk away from God and we leave the light of his presence, we pay no attention to him, we don't look to him, our minds become futile. We become foolish in our thinking. That which is wrong now becomes right. That which is right now becomes wrong. And then he gives us examples of this. The first example is creating our own idols and images to worship. This has been a problem since the beginning of time, and it's a problem today. In some places, people worship people. But in America, we tend to worship things like money, things like possessions. You see, an idol is anything that we look to for what God is to provide. It's anything that we look to to provide what only God can provide in our lives. And we begin to hunger and thirst for things and for power and for significance more than we hunger and thirst for God. That is idolatry. And as our minds become futile and our hearts wander, we begin to worship these things that the world idolizes and is lifted up around us. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, most of us don't tend to have idols of birds, reptiles, and animals, but we have our own idols. It might be security. It might be comfort. What is it for you? I know what mine tend to be, and they become a reminder to me that in my futility of my thinking, I've become foolish, and I'm walking from the God who loves me. But we see also that we choose, we choose sexual immorality. Therefore, God gave them over. Do you hear that? Therefore, God gave them over. God allowed them to choose this path they were already walking on. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts, because that's where it begins, to sexual impurity for the the degrading of their bodies, one with another. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. God is using homosexuality as an example and other sexual immorality, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, And people have given their lives to that as a sign of the futility of their thinking, as a sign that they have walked from God. And so, we believe, as a Christian Reformed Church, I believe believe that homosexuality is a sin, the act of homosexuality is a sin, and it is not God's design. Now, I know in this culture today, you can't say that. I know that. But friends, as I wrestled with this sermon, I want to bring God's truth to his people. 
I want to bring God's truth because I believe that the greatest freedom is found in being what God has created us to be, is living the life that God has called us to live. And so, let's look. The last one is social brokenness. That's the rest of the chapter. I'm not going to go into that because I'm going to move very fast through this sermon this morning. And this is the passage from 28 to 32. He doesn't just leave. This becomes the third category of the example of what happens when God gives us up to our foolish thinking. As we walk away from him, as we don't honor him, we don't worship him, we don't thank him, we ignore him. This is the third category of what it looks like in our lives, in churches, and in our culture when we have turned our backs on God. Now, I want to speak to those that struggle with same-sex attraction. I want to talk to those who struggle, uh, and then I want to talk to the church. Do not tune out, because although this may not be an issue for you today, it may be an issue at some point, and we need to understand what the Word of God teaches. What I am giving you is basically 150 pages in 30 minutes. They call that quantum preaching. Number one, God does not condemn you for same-sex attraction for whatever reason. Be it this the result of living in a broken world, be it the um, environmental issues, whatever. There are people who love God that struggle with same-sex attraction. In fact, the document that was written by a group of people in our Christian Reformed Church that deals with this issue and other issues of identity, and there's a lot of issues that it deals with. Two of the people on that team struggle with same-sex attraction. So this was not written by a bunch of people who are heterosexual. This was written by people who came to the Word of God together and sought to understand together what Scripture teaches. People, heterosexuals and homosexuals both deal with temptation. And we see that in the scriptures. We see when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. As a heterosexual, you will be tempted. As a homosexual, you will be tempted. The temptation itself is not sin. It becomes sin when we act upon it. It becomes sin when lust rages in our hearts. We read on and it says, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It's a path that we walk. And we start walking down this path where we get deeper and deeper and deeper into the brokenness. And into the sin. I think everybody here probably understands what I'm saying. It might not be in this particular sin, but you know those sins. It grabs our heart. It becomes our desire. And when we allow that desire to give birth to action, we become a slave to the sin. It becomes addiction. Now, here's what our denomination says about those who struggle with same-sex attraction. And I want you to hear this, church. Because for too long, the church has pushed people away 
who struggle with this. When this is the very place they need to be. Persons of same-sex attraction may not be denied community acceptance solely because of their sexual orientation and should be wholeheartedly received by the church and given loving support and encouragement. Same-sex-oriented Christians, like all Christians, are called to discipleship, holy obedience, and the use of their gifts in the cause of the kingdom. Opportunities to serve within the offices and the life of the congregation should be afforded to same-sex-oriented Christians as well as to heterosexual Christians. Now, for some of you, that sounds like blasphemy. We're not talking about people that are living in homosexual relationships and are sexually active. We are talking about people who, for whatever reason, are drawn to members, attracted to members of the same sex. And in many churches, we have barred the doors. Here's the second thing I want you to see. If you're struggling with same-sex attraction, do not act upon it. Easy for me to say, right? It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is something that both homosexuals, uh, I believe that the act of homosexuality, biblically it's clear in my mind and in the denomination that this is not God's design, that it is sin. At the same time, Heterosexuals struggle with temptation as well. And these are things that we need to deal with, that we need to struggle with. So what does it mean for somebody? What do we suggest for somebody who deals with this? I see two options. And I have friends who work in ministry that struggle with same-sex attraction And I believe there are two paths, and the report draws this out, that are appropriate. One is celibacy. One is choosing to never be sexually active in your life. The other is to marry a member of the opposite sex, fully disclosing beforehand your struggle. Now... I know on the surface that sounds harsh. I know on the surface it's easy to say because I happen to be heterosexual, easy for you to say because you're not struggling with this. I understand that. I understand that. So how can I say this? There's two things I, I, I want, or three things I want you to think about. First, love is more than sex. Love is more than the sexual act. What people hunger for, their natural human desire might be for sex, but what they're looking for is love, biblical love. What they are looking for is intimacy in community. Now, is there disappointment that it can't be expressed in this way? Yes. And I acknowledge that. But at the same time, love needs to be expressed 
in terms of intimacy, where we are loved, where we are valued, where we are encouraged to live holy lives. I don't know of a place where that can better happen than authentic, in authentic Christian community, where Christians are truly living together as God has called us to live together. Not simply having coffee together, but sharing lives together, bearing one another's burdens, and thus fulfilling the law of Christ. Loving one another. Can you imagine if churches began to live that way? Second, we're, we have to remind ourselves, this world isn't all there is. We weren't created to live a lifetime in this world. We were created to live an eternity. And because of the reality of sin, for each and every one of us, suffering will become a reality of that life. There will be suffering in this world. And all of us, the apostle Paul, three times pr prayed that God would take from him the thorn in his flesh, something that was stirring and creating suffering in his life. And God each time said no. Instead, what Paul learned from that experience was that God was enough for him. That God was sufficient. I think when it comes to this issue, yes, it creates suffering. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's challenging. But if God is who he claims to be, and the Christian community becomes what God intended it to be, then we can create a place where people are loved and valued, and they have the support of the Christian community as they seek to honor God in every area of their life, including in the express, expression of their sexuality. The third thing I want you to see, this is, I'm sorry, this is the position of our denomination. Persons of same-sex attraction may not be denied community, I'm sorry, wrong one, next. I went the wrong direction. Oh boy, not like I haven't used this every week. Homosexualism, which is, is explicit homosexual action or practice, is incompatible with obedience to the will of God as expressed or revealed in Scripture. The church affirms that it must exercise the same compassion for same-sex-oriented person in, in their sins as it, and I'm going to talk about this in a moment, as it exercises for all other sinners. The church should do everything in its power to help persons with same-sex orientation and give them support toward healing and wholeness. I believe, I believe that. I believe that. But I don't know if we're doing a very good job with that. Me included. And then third, if this is something you have acted upon, repent. Repent that you have sinned because of the same-sex attraction, repent of that, not of what you struggle with, but that you've acted upon it. We, we repent of that, which means that we turn 
around and we choose to live in a new way. We read in Romans 2, 4, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not really realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to holiness? That begins with repentance. And then, fourth, find the intimacy that you long for in Christian community. And friends, they won't find it if we don't offer it. They won't find it if we are unwilling, if we are unwilling to live together as God intended, to stand together, to love, to love people, and to understand that they are struggling, but this is the place to struggle. This is the place where they need to find life. And now for the church. We have to repent of our attitude toward those who struggle with same-sex attraction. We have to repent because I think the church at large, many of us, have treated people who struggle with this, with same-sex attraction, with, with, with homosexuality, those in the LGBTQ plus community, we've treated them like they're lepers. We've treated them like they're committing the unforgivable sin, which is the only unforgivable sin that I read in the scriptures is the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, we have been so busy judging that the church, Christ church, has not treated, we've treated this sin as if it's infinitely worse than pride. How much damage does pride create in homes, in workplaces, in communities? How much damage does gossip create in churches, in communities? in workplaces? How much damage does anger and impatience as a parent create in the lives of children? See, we have a tendency culturally to put certain sins on certain levels, and we're okay with these. It's what I call the acceptable sins category. Well, yeah, that's okay. That's not a big one. But this, oh my goodness. Sin is sin, friends. Sin is sin. And not only are they broken, but you and I are broken too. Not only do they need the forgiveness of Christ, the empowerment of Christ to live in a new way, but we have areas of our lives where we do as well. So what should our attitude be when it comes to those who are struggling. What I have seen in churches are two extremes. We have the open and affirming churches that say, whatever you believe, you're welcome here and you can continue to live any way that you want. And then we have on the other extreme, what I would tend to call the more Pharisaic churches that say, you cannot enter this place if you struggle with this sin. 
I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. We will never, I mean, I will, I should say, I will never, it appears our denomination will never compromise what we believe on this. I have studied this and studied this and studied this because I have people in my life who struggle with this stuff. And friends, we need to live as Jesus lived. Jesus never compromised truth, but he always made room and space for the sinner. He didn't compromise truth. He never compromised truth. In fact, in John 6, Jesus teaches something, and it's terrible church church growth uh, principles, because his disciples come and say, hey, Jesus, you know, some of the people out there, they don't like that teaching. Jesus said they don't like that teaching. He stood up and he repeated it. And then in John 6, verse 66, it says, at that time, many disciples left him and followed him no more. Jesus would not compromise. I remember the woman in John 8 who's caught in the act of adultery. She's guilty. She's probably a prostitute. And she's been dragged before Jesus. What does Jesus say to her? Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin. What's happening is, in some churches, what we're doing is we're saying, I don't condemn you, now live however you want. In other churches, we're saying, you have no place, I condemn you. When I see Jesus saying, and this is hard to do, it's hard to do, it's messy, it's not simple, it's not easy, it's hard, it's challenging. There aren't easy roads to to live this out. But we need to seek to live as Jesus lived, to speak in his authority, to tell people what is true, because we love them and we care about them. When my children were growing up, I often told them things they didn't want to hear, because I loved them and I wanted life to go well for them. And I love people, and I want life to go well for people, so I want to tell them what is true, and I do not want to compromise truth. But at the same time, I want to have conversation. At the same time, I want to open the door, and my heart's desire is that they will say, this is not how God wants me to live. I see what the Bible teaches, and I'm willing to try to seek to live that way, but I can't do it on my own. I need God's people to gather around me and to help me to live in a way that honors God. The question is, friends, can we be that kind of a community? Can we be that kind of a church? Right now, the LGBTQ plus people. I'm sorry, front row, because man, that was flying. (laughs) By and large, hate the church and hate God because they've seen what we've done. And I'm just talking about the the greater church. How do, we, how do we tell people the truth and yet stand with them in life and love them and help them in their struggle? I have struggles. Don't write that down, but it's true. I have struggles, and I have people who love Jesus in my life who help me in my struggle. Now, my struggles tend to be more 
socially acceptable in terms of the church, in terms of church life. But I need the church. I need the church. And one of the challenges that this report brings to us is that every one of you and me need to seek sexual holiness for ourselves and walk with those who are struggling. We need to look at our own lives and ask the hard questions. Am I struggling with lust? Am I addicted to pornography? Am I struggling to be sexually pure in thought and in my heart and how I live? Am I struggling in my life? Do I need to repent? Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. I had a... um, a man in my last church, we had, um, God had just done this great work in our community. And not just among our women, but among our men. And I, I honestly find that somewhat rare in churches. But our men were gathering together. They were being real and genuine and honest with one another. We had a lot of men that struggled with the addiction of pornography. And we didn't ignore that. But we also didn't ban them from the church. We walked with them. We walked with them. And we helped them in their struggle. And they knew they weren't alone. And every time they failed, we could help them to repent, turn around again, and keep on working, trying to become what God has created us to be and called us to be. But I remember one man, um, guy, just a wonderful, wonderful family, and he decided to lead, leave his wife for another woman. And he was li- living about two and a half hours north with this woman who was not his wife. A group of men that were in his small group got in a car together And they drove that two and a half hours and they begged him and they wept with him. And they told them they they would not let him go. They told him that they loved him. But what he was doing was wrong. It wasn't right. And this man left that woman reconciled with his wife. And today, or at least the last time I talked with them, their marriage is beautiful. You don't see that happen a lot. But they didn't do it alone. God's people walked with them. And it made an incredible difference. Not just for this couple, but for all those men that were involved. One of the things that the report challenges the church about is as churches, we kind of look the other way with some sins that are of a sexual nature. Sometimes it can be adultery. Sometimes it can be divorce without biblical cause. 
that we just kind of turn a couple living together before marriage and we just kind of turn a blind eye and we ignore it. And then all of a sudden this sin comes and we're ready to build walls around our church to keep them out. I felt convicted by that. As I look back on my life, God is, um, I've not always handled this issue well. And I am so sorry to God for anybody that I have not ministered well to in this. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. But I can tell you this, I have not seen a statement that is more effective and calling the church and calling people to live as God has called us to live. And then finally, we must provide Christian hospitality to all that God brings into our church. Friends, Jesus never said, hey, come and follow me when your life is completely cleaned up. He didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, you get straight, and then you can get out of that tree and follow me. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to eat with you tonight. Oh, scandal. It was scandal. The religious leader said, no, 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 no. Another time, a, a woman who was a prostitute, we believe, she was so, whatever Jesus had said, it had just broken her heart for Jesus, and she wanted to live a new kind of life, and the Bible says that she came when Jesus was eating with the religious elite, and he, and he anointed, she anointed Jesus with very expensive oil, and then in her tears, as she was just weeping, she used the tears in her hair to wipe his feet. She was worshiping him. And one of the religious leaders sitting there said, if he knew, obviously, he's not who he claims to be. If he knew who she was, he would never let her do that. That's our Lord. That's our Lord. We have to seek to find balance. Truth, always truth. We do not compromise truth. But we do it in a way that people's lives can be transformed. Will you pray with me? Father, this is hard stuff. And I pray if there's anything that I said today that isn't true, Lord, that you would help people to sort that out. I pray in humility, Lord, that I have not always done a great job in this area, and I know that there are others who can certainly say the same. God, I pray that you would help us, that you would help us to live in a way, individually and as a church, that honors God. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Strengthen us where we need to be strengthened. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Heal us where we need to be healed. Lord, I pray that you would transform us into the of believers that loves God, 
lives for God and relates to the world in a way that is faithful to the ministry of Jesus. Oh God, work in our hearts and among your people. Lord, there's so much that as we think about our church family, so much to say thankful for. We're grateful for the Sri Lanka team that is back safely. We're grateful for the beautiful gate team that is arrived safely. We pray for their ministry. We're grateful for the cadet boys and leaders that are gone to Canada to do ministry. We're grateful for the opportunity to host Ambassadors Soccer this week and pray for that ministry, Lord, that it would reach children who will reach families. We're thankful for Poppy, Lord uh, Vortman, who was born at just one pound, but has now gone home to be with her family, that she was able to be released from the hospital. That is a miracle, and we thank you. We pray for Dick Vandermeulen, who's in the hospital with a blood infection, for Marilyn Vandermeulen, who's dealing with a heart issue, for Harriet Stedman, who's recovering from hip replacement surgery, for Joanne Vandermeulen, who's been diagnosed with cancer, for Jean Stedman, who's recovering from heart surgery. Lord, we bring all of these needs, and we ask that each would see you, Lord, very close to them, and in their suffering, they would know of your truth the truth of who you are. And Lord, as we give to you your tithes and our offerings, we pray that you would empower these gifts. Use them for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.